0: And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, feed us with, with your word. You are the air that, that we breathe. And we thought it was oxygen. It's just so cool, Father, the, the things that people are discovering now, things that you've told us all along that When you really get down to the heart of an oxygen molecule, nobody's really even sure that it's there, just intention or information or or reason. So God, maybe you really are the air that we breathe. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, for creating us, for revealing yourself to us. Jesus, I pray you would reveal yourself to us now. This is the 18th message, Lord, from the Sermon on the Mount. I think I used to think what I was told that the higher critics said that it was just a bunch of stuff kind of slapped together because I couldn't quite put all the pieces together. But Lord, the more time I spend in it, the more I'm just amazed. Um, I I think you knew what you were talking about, Jesus. And I pray that you would help us to see what, what you see. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been around a little while and been listening to messages, you remember that Jesus came preaching, repent, change your mind, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he went up on this little mountain, a hillside, and he began to teach about the kingdom. He told us to pray, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come. And he just told us to seek first the kingdom. When you were a kid, or maybe now, do you or did you ever... I dream about like a, a, a magical kingdom, not not in Tampa, but like or Orlando, but 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 uh, but like another world, and maybe like a a gate or a door through which you could enter that that other world. In A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline L'Engle, the children enter other worlds through a a tesseract, which was like another dimension or a fold in space-time. In The Lord of the Rings, the, the entire earth enters another age, the third age, when Frodo throws the ring of power into Mount Doom, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the children enter through a wardrobe, a picture frame, and a stable, and the inside is bigger than the entire outside, and only children can enter, and all the animals talk. In Lilith, by George MacDonald, Mr. Vane walks into another world through a mirror. In Alice in Wonderland, by Lewis Carroll, Alice falls down a rabbit hole, and finds, she, fi- she finds a little door behind a curtain, It's the entrance to Wonderland. I I learned this last week that Lewis Carroll uh, studied for the ministry and was good friends with George MacDonald C.S. Lewis was great friends with J.R. Tolkien and referred to George MacDonald as his, his mentor. Madeleine Ingall was considered to be kind of like the American C.S. Lewis and was also heavily influenced by George MacDonald and she believed that our Father in Heaven would redeem all his children just as George MacDonald and Lewis Carroll did. Some would say, well, so what? They wrote fairy tales. And scripture teaches that the gate is narrow and the way is hard and few are those that find it. I'm not interested in fairy tales written for children. The things I believe most then, the things I believe most now, are the things called fairy tales, wrote G.K. Chesterton. They seem to me to, to be the entirely reasonable things. The world of fairy tale fantasy myth is inimical, it's hostile, wrote Madeline L'Engle, to the secular world and in total opposition to it, for it is interested not in limited laboratory proofs, but in truth. Truth and reason are not things that can be comprehended in this world, even if we can only comprehend things in this world in light of truth and reason, that is logos, When Tolkien was asked if his fantasies were escapist, he replied, well, everything depends on that from which one is escaping. What if this world isn't truly real? What if we haven't yet even really begun to to live? What if there's a world or an age in which everything is good and alive? when my son Jonathan was little, we would have to stop and talk to every VW bug in the grocery store parking lot. Seemed perfectly reasonable to John. Hello Herbie, how are you? It seemed reasonable to him and his world was filled with wonder. So one day I said, "John, John, let me explain. There's a chemical reaction that occurs in the pistons in the four cylinders of the VW Bug, and the power is transferred well to a crankshaft that uh, then transfers power through a uh, transmits power through a transmission, which is a, a variety of gears in different ratios that goes on to the drive shaft that then turns the wheels. Uh, now you know. You know about VW Bugs." He used to talk to animals. But we sent him to school, and they told him, Winnie the Pooh can't talk. A a bear is an ursidae caniformia carnivora, and a person is a primate, specifically a homo sapiens. Now John has an advanced degree in helping people talk. (laughs) In the hope that they might restore uh, some lost wonder C.S. Lewis wrote, when I was 10, I read fairy tales in secret and would have been ashamed if I'd been found doing so. Now that I'm 50, I read them openly. When I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up. So anyway, Jesus just told us, seek first the kingdom, the one that's coming and is at hand. Matthew 7, verse 7, ask And it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened (laughs) that's easy right or which one of you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil, I love that, Jesus knows how to win an audience, right? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few how few how hard how narrow i mean gosh this thing started out pretty good right and then it got kind of scary toward toward the end People love to quote that last line when I suggest that God will make all things new and that might just include his his children. Yeah, they say, but the gate is narrow and hard is the way and few are those who find it. Well, I think we're supposed to ask how narrow? How hard? How how few? But we assume pretty narrow, fairly hard, and in a world of seven billion folks, relatively few, so we obviously need a little more knowledge and effort. We need to try harder. I can't tell you the number of times I've gone forward at some church camp to pray the sinner's prayer. As if there was some other prayer that I could have prayed than the sinner's prayer. But The sinner's prayer, or maybe some other uh, newfangled prayer because I wanted to make sure I got it right and tried a little harder because the gate is narrow. I was baptized three times. First, by my dad when I was an infant. And then I was baptized again in college when guys on campus said that the first baptism didn't count. So I had my dad do it again. And I gave him detailed instructions. He graduated from Princeton Seminary, but I gave him detailed instructions and how to hold me down and make sure that everything was under. And then the guys at CU told me it didn't actually count because my dad was not in the apostolic succession. And you know, the gate is narrow. I was baptized a third time by an Arab Christian in the River Jordan. In seminary, I learned that during the Reformation, Anabaptists, that means people baptized more than once, Anabaptists, well they would be sentenced to death because they obviously didn't have faith in God's power to save. That's why they kept getting baptized over and over again and so they needed to be damned and killed because you know, the gate is narrow. I read all sorts of books about faith because I figured I needed more knowledge to have faith and the way is hard and the gate is narrow. I went to seminary to gain knowledge about God, but but I got a few a few Bs and to be honest, those that got only A's didn't seem to be all that wonderful or even alive and so maybe the gate is super, super, super narrow. I've learned that faith without works is dead and so I've been neurotic about sin and even proud of, sometimes proud of my righteousness, thinking I found the way and then I think myself, but how few, how hard, how narrow is the gate?" Jesus just told us at the start of the Sermon on the Mount: "Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." No one had more knowledge in Jesus' day than the scribes, the scholars. Nobody tried harder in Jesus' day than the Pharisees. They they were into doing the law. Jesus says, "Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets." Then he says, "Whoever says you fool is liable to the hell of fire." Whoever looks at a woman with lust, attention to lust, has committed adultery. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other, love your enemies, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and do it unconsciously without your right hand, knowing what your left hand is doing. Dang, that is a, like a pretty narrow door. In our text today he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's nice, until you really stop to think about it. I mean, I want everyone to love me just like I I love my, I mean, I don't always like myself, but I I want them to love me like I love myself, unconsciously, freely, and without trying. But I don't even come close to loving everyone else like I love myself, unconsciously, freely, and without trying. If I did that, I'd end up dirt or no place to lay my head, maybe even crucified on a tree. If I did that, I'd have to literally consider everyone to be like my own body. I'd no longer think me, I'd think we. I'd no longer think mine so much as ours. This is the law and the prophets, says Jesus. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Israel has spent 1,500 years trying to obey the law and the prophets. You remember, God gave the law to Moses on a mountain, and now Jesus is expositing the law on, on the mountain at the start of his, his ministry as if to say, you wanted knowledge of good and evil? I'll give you some knowledge of good and evil. This is the law. In the Old Testament, the law is the terms of the covenant, the covenant of law. Basically, God says, observe the terms of the covenant, and I'll bless you. Don't observe him, you'll be cursed. Israel doesn't obey, and all of Israel dies in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb, which literally translated is Jesus and the dog. (laughs) Remember last time I told you how Jesus gave the holy thing to the, I think that's kinda cool. But even then, as they enter the land, they encounter this God man with a a flaming sword, and they, they don't occupy as they're commanded to occupy. The prophets prophesied that Jerusalem, Judah, Israel, and the whole world will be devoted to destruction. That's the law and the prophets. The law was kept in a coffin called an ark in the Holy of Holies guarded by a curtain and a bunch of priests with flames and swords. On the top of the ark uh, was the presence of the age to come, the throne of God on earth, the judgment seat, which would judge between good and and evil. It was guarded by two cherubim, just like those that guarded the way to the tree of life in the garden of Eden. The tree of life, it stood in the same spot as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, The day you eat of it, dying, you will die. The snake said, Surely you won't die. We ate and we ate and, and we were exiled from the garden, the life, the kingdom, and dying we do die, and dead things don't find gates or even seek them. In the words of Paul, quoting David in the Psalms, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. So how few find the gate and the way? Well none guess and how many are led to destruction well all I guess so how narrow is the gate it will appears to be closed and how hard is the way well it sounds like it'll kill you you'll lose your life your psyche It'll crush your psyche like a grape. Well, let's take a a closer look, all right? Enter by the narrow gate. Now, that's imperative tense. That's a command from, from the word of God. For the gate is wide and the way is easy, literally broad, that leads to destruction. That's the noun apoleia, translated destruction. It comes from the verb Apollumi, translated destroy or lose. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. The the Apollolos, which is the perfect participle of Apollumi. And think about it. You can't be found unless you're lost. Verse 13, the way is broad that leads to being lost and those who enter by it are many, polloi. Language scholars point out that many often means all in biblical Greek because Hebrew and Aramaic have no specific word for all. A perfect example of this is Matthew chapter 22, remember Jesus tells a story about a king who puts on this great feast and he calls everyone, he calls everyone, he chooses, he calls everyone to the wedding feast but he chooses one out of the crowd to be thrown into the outer darkness for this friend of the king has no wedding garment. Then Jesus says this, for many which was all are called and few which was one are chosen. Verse 15, for the gate is narrow. In Luke, Jesus uses the word door. The door is narrow. In John, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of The sheep shepherd could count his sheep one by one coming in and out of the sheep pen. I am the door of the sheep, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That means he'll no longer be lost but found. The gate is narrow and the way is hard. In John, you remember doubting Thomas says to Jesus the night before he's crucified, I think we say this to Jesus all the time, Lord, uh, we don't know the way to where you're going. You remember what Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the Zoe, the life. If we've been united with him in a death like his, writes Paul, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Literally translated that word should be something like crushing. Crushes you. It was used to refer to trampling grapes, as, as in a wine press. Grapes of wrath, which turn into into wine. <laughs> wine that's blood and blood that's wine. We must lose our old psyches to find them. We must exhale to inhale the zoe, the life, the life that's in in the blood. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, to zoe, and those who find it are few and and few can mean one. So how few find the gate? And how hard is the way? Well, Well, Jesus is the gate. And Jesus is the way, and he came to find the people that he's talking to on the mountain, and you, right here, right now. He's the God-man with the flaming sword that cuts us down to size. He's the high priest guarding the way to the coming age. His his flesh is the torn curtain leading to life and then standing on, on the throne. Many are called, and few like one is chosen. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, writes Paul. As in Adam, all die. That's many. So in Christ, that's one. We'll all be made alive. So, so anyway, maybe the few is 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 none. Maybe it's none, or maybe it's one because Jesus is the way and the gate and. Well, that does make the gate awfully narrow, doesn't it? As narrow as a baby in a manger, as as narrow as the arms of the cross, as narrow as a coffin or, or the tomb in the garden where Jesus was crucified. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The way is narrow. But he does seem to get around, doesn't he? Religious folks love to quote that verse and say, see, Jesus is the only way, he's the only way. Well, Jesus is the only way. But then they say things like this. That means joining our church, or tithing, or going on the retreat, or being baptized this way or that way, or having the right doctrine. I mean, they talk as if Jesus were dead. And they kept him in a box or a coffin. They talked as if Jesus was dead, like knowledge of good and evil. You know, in a book, dead law used to justify themselves rather than the living Lord who justifies us. They spout knowledge. We all spout knowledge. We know that all of us possess knowledge, writes Paul in 1 Corinthians 8. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, and remember love fulfills the law and the prophets, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Wow. I think there's like a reformation waiting to happen in that last verse. But my point right now is that Jesus still commands us to enter by the gate. And if the gate is that narrow, the last thing that we want to do is puff ourselves up with knowledge, pad our resumes, build our old psyches, our our egos. So anyway, as we were saying, maybe the few that find it is really none. Or maybe the few is really the one who is the way and, and the way to life that is the truth, like being honest, truth in you. Or maybe the few is the small. I was surprised to learn that many can be translated large, and few is often translated little or small. Small are those who enter. And that reminds me of Alice and Frodo and every child in every fairy tale. I'd play you the original movie clip you know from the Disney classic but we um, probably don't have time and we don't want to shut down the live Facebook feed but you you may remember that uh, Alice was bored one day bored with her world when she saw a white rabbit and followed it and fell down the rabbit hole as she's falling she turns on a light and Jesus is the light she looks in a mirror and we look into the law of liberty the downside up she reads a book and jesus is the word she hears a clock and jesus is the beginning and the end of time she lands in a rocking chair and we enter his rest past a fire she spies this little door or a gate behind this this drawn curtain and through a keyhole she sees A garden. She thinks impossible, and then the door talks to her. It's a living door. The door says, not impossible, impassable, because Alice is just too large. The door tells her to look on the table. She drinks from a bottle that says, drink me, and she shrinks. But then she has to eat cakes that say, eat me, in order to grow up once again and get the key from the top of the table. The body and blood of our Lord is the key. It shrinks our ego to nearly nothing for we crucified the Lord. And yet it makes us greater than we can possibly imagine for we are the body of Christ. We are the beloved for whom he died. Grace does that to people. It cuts cuts away the, the ego and at the same time transforms people into something utterly divine. Grace is the angel with the flaming sword that cuts us down to size. Grace is the high priest in the temple. Grace liberates us from the prison that is ourselves and then unites us to reality. In the words of Karl Barth, it burns us right down to faith, and faith is a seed that grows into a kingdom. Alice eats and drinks, gets small and large, and then small again and floats to the keyhole on a river of tears. In the words of G.K. Chesterton, Alice must grow small if she is to be Alice in Wonderland. If you're the king of your kingdom, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you know everything in your world, then you certainly don't know any wonder because you cannot be known by anything larger than you. And love is larger than you. God is love and any real love is God. Anyone who loves has been known by God and loving love is life. But if you're the king of your own kingdom, everything is dead and none of the animals talk, not even the people. You're alone. In the Lord of the Rings, all of Middle Earth passes from one age into the next. The the whole world enters wonderland when the ring of power that, that made people invisible, when the ring of power is cast into the fires of Mount Doom and the works of the evil one are destroyed The only measure that he knows, the evil one knows, is desire, says Gandalf. Desire for power. And so he judges all hearts. Into his heart the thought will not enter, that having the ring we may seek to destroy it. But neither Gandalf the great wizard, nor Aragorn, the king of men, nor Elrond, nor Galadriel, the rulers of the elves. None of them can bear the ring, for it's too great a temptation to them. Their egos are too large. It must be borne by Frodo, the humble hobbit. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, says Jesus. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In the Chronicles of Narnia, you remember, only the children can enter. Those that think they are adults cannot hear Aslan's voice. All they hear is growling, and to them the wardrobe won't open. And I think this is the problem with children. You know, there is a problem with children. Not that they are children, but that they insist on growing up. Actually, that's when they're least children and most childish when they insist on being adults, well maybe God will let us grow up so we can then grow down, so we can return to the garden and know the place for the first time. We shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time, through the unknown, unremembered gate. When the last of the earth left to discover is that which was the beginning, at the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall and the children in the apple tree, not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard in the stillness between two waves of the sea, quick now, here, now, always, a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, when the tongues of flames are enfolded into the crown knot of fire, and the fire and the rose are one. That's T.S. Eliot. I didn't write that. T.S. Eliot wrote that. This is how Aslan says it at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia. There is a way into my country from all worlds, said the lamb. But as he spoke, his snowy white flushed into tawny gold, and his size changed, and he was Aslan himself, towering above them and scattering light from his mane. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy, will you tell us how to get into your country from our world? I shall be telling you all the time, says Aslan. See, I think he's saying that there really is treasure all around you, and the treasure is like a gate, but you have to get small, humble yourself like like a child, and, and seek in order to find. The gate is narrow, so it is the small, the humble, the children, that enter. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. But that's the rub, isn't it? I mean, we're all so childish. I mean, we all admire children, but nobody wants to be one. We all want to grow up, and, and it's just hard to grow down. It's not easy to humble yourself and not be immediately proud of your humility, which is the worst sort of arrogance, or not be ashamed that you were just humbled, which might be an even worse form of pride. I'm saying it's hard to lose yourself, your big bad ego. It's hard to actually ask for life. As Paul wrote in Isaiah prophesied, no one seeks for God. It's utterly ironic, isn't it? Jesus says the gate is narrow and instinctually, automatically, we all try to take more knowledge of good and evil. The gate is narrow and we all try to pad our resumes and puff ourselves up with knowledge and Jesus says, ask, ask and it will be given to you Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good? And in the Greek, it's just the word good there. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good to those who ask him? It's more than a bit fascinating that original sin is taking knowledge of good from the tree in the middle of the garden and it turns out that God our Father is longing to give good on the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of life. Ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock. But but if you keep reading in just a few verses you'll you'll find that Jesus talks about some folks that say, Lord, Lord, and describe, then they go on to describe all their good works to Jesus, and he'll answer, I never knew you. Depart from me. In Luke's version, they knock, and the master says, I do not know where you are from, and it appears that they do not tell him. I just came from the brothel, the bar, whatever. It appears that they do not tell him because they, they don't enter. Well, Jesus is the master, and who is it? that he does not know, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who is it that he does not know? Well, he doesn't know your imposter. He doesn't know your false self. The self that you, know, you describe on your resume. He you reads your resume and says, I'm sorry, sweetheart, I, I don't know this person. He doesn't know the puffed up you that you seem to think you are. He doesn't know the prison in which you have imprisoned yourself. You see, it must be the real you, the honest you, the humbled you that knocks and asks. And so, like Paul and Isaiah write, no one seeks, no one asks. None asks, so none find. (laughs) The few that find is none. None. Or maybe you could spin it so that it's one. Paul does go on to describe the one who is righteous for all, the one who humbles himself, the one who seeks and finds, the one who knocks and it's open. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He said, Seek and you will find. Do you think He finds? He said, Knock and the door will be opened. Does He knock? And is it opened? And being found in human form, he humbled himself, writes Paul, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living psyche, writes writes Paul. The first Adam became a living psyche, the eschatos Adam, the the last Adam, became a life-giving, a a zoe-giving spirit. (sighs) He lifted his head on the tree and cried, Father, forgive, and delivered up his spirit. (sighs) Because you are sons, writes Paul, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, not only descends into our hearts, he descends into the depths of the earth. What does it mean he ascended, writes Paul, but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. He descended into us, he descends into us and causes us to cry, Abba, Father. He causes us to seek. You can only seek because you've already been sought and found that longing for life in you, that hope in you is the spirit of Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, writes Paul. He's what causes you to get up off the couch and open the door. And who's at the door? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, says Jesus if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and eat with him and he with me that's wonderland but until you go through that door it's hell i've spoken about this much more in other sermons and you can you can go watch those sermons online if you want i'll put the link in the footnotes to this on the website but our old building, remember, was built in 1890, and it was haunted. I probably wouldn't have believed it, but we actually have a video of this dark thing flying out of the sanctuary as, as we worship. They even put it on the news. I also believe because I've learned to trust my wife who sees these things. Well, we prayed and we bound several evil spirits after that happened, and then after that, my wife started encountering ghosts what the Bible refers to as phantasma in the New Testament, or ob, familiar spirits in in the old, I think they're people stuck in their own psyches, and so stuck in this fallen world of ours, this fallen world of space and time, unable to lose their lives, their psyches, and and then find them. One night, with some on the prayer team, we prayed in the basement, and and the team suddenly saw Children and old men surrounding a slaughtered goat in the middle of the room. We prayed for Jesus to appear, and he did. Walked to the middle of the circle and healed the goat. The children then came to him, and he sent the children back to their fathers, and as they came to Jesus, they grew down. I mean, they got young. (laughs) and they began to party, it just turned into this party. I remember not knowing what to say at that point. They're seeing this, I'm talking, praying to Jesus, so I just said, "Um, Jesus, could they go home? And suddenly, this door opened in the wall down in that coal chute, down in the basement in the old building, and there was like a new creation on the other side. A few weeks later it happened again in the deep crawl space under the stage. We had entered because Susan had heard weeping through the access door. Inside she saw figures cowering in the darkness and I prayed that Jesus would reveal himself and he did, along with the door uh, to the new creation. I I began to tell them who Jesus was. In other words, I began to proclaim the gospel, the good news, I began to tell them who Jesus was And, and the moment that one of them would look up, that person would immediately go to him. And yet some wouldn't look up. They wouldn't lose their their psyches for him. And so they wouldn't find him. And them, their psyches. Finally, Jesus said, I'm leaving this door for those that will still come. And so I would think of them as I would preach in that old building and look out at a few people out there maybe not listening. I I would think of of them as my words would descend through the stage and down into the outer darkness. Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I know that was super weird. But I'm just saying that the door is narrow. And yet the door is filling all things. I mention those stories so that you dare to believe that these things are true. But I don't want you to think this message only applies to the day that your body dies. I hope you understand that it applies to everything you do right here, right now. Because I'm guessing that most of you are like me and you don't spend a lot of time in wonderland. And you just don't feel all that... Alive, so, so Jesus says enter by the narrow gate that leads to life. Narrow is the way, few are those who find it, but, but you know the way and you know the life because he's found you, he's found you, he's just waiting for you to enter everywhere and every wind. small are those that enter. So don't puff yourself up with religion. Don't try to be something. Above all, don't make any promises to to Jesus, but just sit naked and vulnerable in the presence of love. Sometimes I just sit. Sometimes, especially when I'm filled with anxiety, I picture myself just handing things over. I hand you over (laughs) because I worry about you. I give you to Jesus. I give the church to Jesus. I give my family to Jesus. I give the thing I worry about the most to Jesus. I give me to Jesus. and Not just the big impressive me. The real me. I mean I say, you know me Jesus. It just helps me to sometimes I even say this out loud you know me jesus you know how scared i am you know my every embarrassing desire and i list them you know that i'd like to just get really really drunk and fall asleep on a beach you know you know that i you know that i want to be famous and i feel like a fool you know me you see his presence humbles me and i become like a child in his arms and sometimes i say Abba? And it's not actually me that's saying it. I'm beginning to walk into wonderland, the age to come, the new creation. I lose lose myself in him and find him in myself talking to our Father. Another way to say this whole thing is blessed are the poor in spirit. Of them is the kingdom of God heaven. Blessed are, the mo- are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the children. To such belongs the kingdom of God. They, they walk right through the pearly gates because they are not offended by grace. This is the narrow door. He took bread and broke it, saying, This is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, he took the cup, saying, This is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Eat me. Drink me. Enter by the narrow gate, enter wonderland. So we invite you to um, come forward and take one of the cups up here on the table. If you're at home, tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. We invite you to worship, to lose yourself, and find yourself in wonderland. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's ask. You just um, talking to you, the real you, that scared one, the little one. Let's ask. You just ask in the depths of your heart. Say, Abba. I would like the kingdom of heaven. Can I have the kingdom of heaven? (laughs) Now listen to the word of God. Ask and it will be given to you. You didn't take it. It's his delight to give it, little one. Now seek, and you will find. Few are those that find, but you see, um, he's sent his word to already find you and to help you to seek. And it's his word that caused you to ask. It's Wonderland, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, everyone wants the kingdom of heaven. I think we were made that way. We all, everybody does want it. The shock is that the way we get it is the exact opposite of what the world would tell us. It's not through a process of addition, said Meister Eckhart, I think it was, who first said this like a thousand years ago. It's not through a process of addition that we gain the kingdom of God, but through a process of subtraction. In other words, it's not by growing up, it's by growing down. In other words, it's not exalting yourself, it's, it's humbling yourself. And that sounds bad, but I've discovered that it's incredibly good news. <laughs> because you see, I worry about myself a lot. And so it's uh, pretty great to lose myself and then be able to find myself in His kingdom. Um, in other words, believe the gospel. That's what I'm saying. In Jesus' name, amen.